Do you remember in the before times, you know, when we had coming attractions when we went to a movie? <laughs> what you just saw was not a coming attraction, it's a coming priority. Uh, the Mosaic Course, which was created by Pastor Matthew John, one of my teammates, uh, really gets at this, this question of how do we talk about Jesus today? Whether you're 15 or 105, how we talk about Jesus has really changed and continues to change. Man, does it change. I don't know if you know this, our, our outreach department, our, our purpose statement goes like this. Outreach exists to see God worship throughout the earth. We recognize that encountering and following Jesus is the greatest human and societal need. But man, how we share this good news, it changes so we want to invite you to the Mosaic course because this is really our key equipping. Starts April 18th, 6.30 to 8, an hour and a half for seven Sunday evenings. Go to the website, find out more, uh, put in the keyword Mosaic course, all small letters, and you can find out how to register for Mosaic. I didn't introduce myself, did I? Bad Scott, bad Scott. My name's Scott White, I'm the Associate Pastor for Outreach here at Lake, and it's my privilege to get to open God's word today. But I, I, I gotta tell you before we get going, you know that famous dream that we all have about going to school and forgetting to put our pants on? Well, with the time change, all night long, my dreams kept showing up with me standing here today in my pajamas. Because a lot of us have been coming to church in our pajamas of late. So good news, I changed. So it's a win. From here on out, it's, as far as I'm concerned, it's a win. It's my privilege to be the pastor of outreach here at Lake. And for those of you who don't know me, uh, my story and so what, it, it, is so rooted here. It was 50 years ago this year that I came to faith at this very place here at Lake Avenue Church. And my journey and my family's journey has continued here ever since, and I've had the privilege of serving the church now in this position for, for 20 years. We are in week four of our seven-week Lenten series. Lent, the 40-plus days that lead up to the death and resurrection of our Savior. We're in a series from the Gospel of John, in case you're just dropping it now, and we're calling it Love, Jesus. You know, the way you might sign off on a letter, Love, Scott for instance. Today we're continuing in John 13. Pastor Jeff left us last week partway through this chapter. We had just seen Judas depart. Now he had just departed from a meal the disciples and Jesus were sharing. This meal was in memory of the Passover event. The Passover, this moment of, of deliverance of the Jews, it ended their enslavement in Egypt. And it did so by God's divine intervention. They had gathered together to remember the Passover, an event that had cosmic implications. Very soon, the disciples would come to see a rescue of a different kind was taking place. That in fact, they were being delivered and any of us who repent and believe in Jesus are being delivered from our enslavement to sin through another death and resurrection that rings throughout the cosmos and all time. Our passage today, it's gonna to pack a lot into only seven verses. We're gonna begin by chewing on a little theology. That's just a fancy word, meaning the study of God and his relationship to the world. 
So don't freak out. And that's going to set up a command from Jesus. And this is really important because Jesus doesn't command a lot of things as recorded in the Gospels. And then I'm going to, the passage is going to leave us with a teaser that's going to kind of hang in the air this week. But it's also going to help us circle back to where we're going to start today. And I'm so thrilled, as Pastor Jeff said, to get to share this journey with Brother Ray Thompson today. Ray, who's a friend, has been a leader in our church in so many ways. He and Lydia have raised their family here over many, many years. Ray, who does his day job thing and then spends so much time in LA County jails, he's going to come and share some stories as we do this together. So if you're able, I want to invite you now, though, to stand for the reading of God's word. John 13, beginning in verse 31. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay my life down for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay your life down for me? Very truly, Peter, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. As I said, we're going to start with a little theology. Now, in this passage, these first two verses, we have the word glory five times. Five times. Now, I did a little homework here. The word glory, or some version of it, appears 606 times in the Bible. 230 of those are in the New Testament. And we've got five of them right here. That sounds important to me. Glory, the word describes the essential worth, beauty, or value of something. Now, we know God can't get any more glory. That can't be increased. Not in that narrow sense of we think of adding things onto another. But when our lives are lived in worship to him, in word and deed and song and prayer, what we've been doing even this morning, we declare his worthiness. And that brings God glory. The Bible is the story of God's glory being revealed and recognized. Whether it's the words of the psalmist who wrote, the heavens declare your glory. Or even this very same author, John, in his book of the Revelation, he has a vision of eternity of all peoples, tribes, tongues, declaring God's glory and worship gathered around the throne. Jesus declares that here in John 13, 31 and 32... He declares the importance of this glory task and activity. 
I've highlighted in this passage the adjectives and the action verbs for emphasis. Take a look. When he was gone, again speaking of Judas, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once, five times in two verses. We see it expressed in a present tense. We see it expressed in a future tense because, in fact, more is coming. If we look a little ahead in the story, and we're going to get there in just a few weeks, in John 17, John 17, 1, we see Jesus says almost the very same thing in his priestly prayer right before his arrest. Take a look. After Jesus had said this, he looked toward heaven and he prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. God's biggest story unfolding throughout the Bible and in our lives, as Pastor Janine said a few weeks ago, it's this story of rescue because God gets the glory. And we know, friends, we cannot rescue ourselves. It's only by his loving action that we're rescued. And that too is for his glory. The Bible is the story of his glory being revealed in this world and in our lives. And we see it being revealed or hinted at in three ways in verse 31 and 32. Because we know, because we know the full story of what's about to unfold and happen in the next 72 hours of Jesus' life. But we see it three ways. We see this glory through Jesus' obedience to God leading to the cross. We see it through Jesus' acknowledgement of the coming reality of the cross. And we see it through the impending resurrection of Jesus from his execution on the cross. Do you see it? Obedience, acknowledgement, death and resurrection. And why? For God's glory. Yeah, you got it. Indeed, now the Son of Man is glorified and God glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. Five times seems important. See, Jesus is seeing it all. He's seeing it past. He's seeing it present. And he's seeing even in the future tense, and it's all in these two verses, what has always been we sang it this morning in holy, 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 what has always been, what is, and what will be. And, it, and he had just hinted this to his disciples just two days earlier. They'd been at the house of Lazarus who had died. And Jesus recorded words in John eleven four. just two days earlier is this, for God's glory and for the Son of Man glorified through it, describing the resurrection to life of Lazarus for God's glory and for the Son of Man glorified through it. Sound familiar? Here he's reminding them by using almost those very same words, though from a diff different context two days earlier, there is a death and there is a resurrection. It's coming. They had seen it in Lazarus. If in that moment they could hear it, he was telling them another redemptive act is coming that will bring God glory and will glorify the Son of Man. Are you listening? He seems to be saying. Now, redemption, that's a word we're pretty familiar with. Mostly today, it comes in the form of what? Rewards cards hanging off your keychain, right? Or frequent flyer miles. Uh, maybe we should call those infrequent 
flyer miles right now. You redeem your points, you, 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 you turn in your miles, you get something tangible, right? But in the language of the Bible, it, it carries so much more weight than that. It refers to a payment that results in deliverance from something. In the Old Testament, it is the term that is used to describe the act of freeing a slave from bondage. A final release. You are free. Paul in Romans 5, 6-8 describes redemptive love this way. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, a costly payment has been made. And it leads to the ultimate kind of release. And when this happens, God gets the glory. Listen one more time to John 13, 31. After Jesus was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. The Bible is the story of God's glory being revealed and recognized. And that is how Jesus sets up the commandment that's coming in verse 34. Now he's telling them he's leaving. He's telling them time is short. And then we read this in 34 and 35. The new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Such a well-known verse. A verse many of us had to memorize somewhere along the line. The love command in verse 34 is where the tradition of Monday Thursday communion dinner actually comes from. Monday is the old English version of our common English word mandate, a requirement, a demand, something that must be complied with. In less than three weeks, we're going to celebrate Monday Thursday, and we're going to remember again this mandate, this command to love. But this command to love also begs a question. How do we love like Jesus? So here's some things I came up with in my mind and for my friends out there in chat land, because usually I'm with you on Sunday morning and my little digits are busy chatting. uh, Maybe this is a time for you to put some of those ways in the chat. How did Jesus love? Because I know we've all got ideas, whether you're here in the room or wherever you're listening. These are some that came to my mind. He loves through words of truth and deeds of power. He loves with his mind and his heart. He modeled by the way he gave direction to how to walk in the way. He loved selflessly and sacrificially. Last week, Pastor Jeff reminded us in the beginning of chapter 13 here, we we see the washing of the feet, the stripping off of his rabbinical clothes to take on the clothing of a servant and wash the feet of his disciples. He went low. Jesus loves forgivingly and generously. Something he would model very soon, especially to Peter in prophetic words in verse 38 of this passage. And who later on in John 21, we would see Jesus entrust the whole flock to Peter. He loves forgivingly and generously. Summing it all up, Jesus loves redemptively. 
One of scripture's central themes from Genesis to Revelation, the totality of scripture is God's redeeming work. God taking the initiative to act compassionately on behalf of those who are powerless to help themselves. Let me say it again. God taking the initiative to act compassionately on behalf of those who are powerless to help themselves. Jesus always loves redemptively. It's a love built on a foundation of forgiveness. A forgiving love, it acts like a mortar, a cement that holds relationships firmly together. It provides a way to anchor to the firm foundation. Redemptive love is predicated in part on a strong commitment to forgiveness. But how do we love redemptively if we are Jesus' disciples and we're supposed to be known by love? How do we do this? Because friends, love, to put it in today's language, love is Jesus' brand. Brands are not slogans in today's language. They're not PR moves. They're complete. They're totality. They're a lifestyle. They're what it's all about, the whole smash. It's complete. It's encompassing. John would comment on this even in his first letter written about 30 years later to the churches scattered about. This same John who wrote these words, he would say in 1 John 3, 16 and 17, and listen to redemptive love and how he describes it here. This is how we know that love, what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need and has no pity on them? How can the love of God be in them? Actions always validate love. And this kind of love has only one and true pure source. And it is where we must go and it is where we must stay to be rooted. Later on in that same letter, John would write in 1 John 4, 7, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And he continues in verse 16. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. It is firmly rooted. But knowing that love is Jesus' brand, come on, guys, that's not the problem, right? At least it's not for me. It's in the doing. The challenge is always in the doing. Because there's so much that can keep us from risking loving others. But Jesus is pretty firm here. He says it's a command. Love one another and do it as he loved them. When you love like Jesus, church, watch out. As love's redemptive power will go into action, it'll push open closed doors. Doors that are often locked in our life by things like fear or weakness. Locked doors, just, just waiting for someone to insert a, a key of bold faith that looses a redemptive love in all of its spirit-fueled power and authority and potential. Last week, Jeff and the Holy Spirit nailed me to the wall. Well, let me flip that around. Last week, the Holy Spirit and Pastor Jeff nailed me to the wall. When, when Jeff said, Quote, what mess makes you uncomfortable and you want to run away from that mess versus entering the mess? It nailed me because there are places in my life that I let things like fear and weakness keep redemptive love from just flowing out, pushing open closed doors into the mess of other lives 
and places that are desperately in need of love in action. Am I alone here? I don't think so. Jesus commanded and says to his disciples then, as he does, as we do this to the disciples, as you do it for one another, as I have done to you, now it's your turn. Humble your heart, stretch out your hand in faith, risk it, turn the key, push open the door, love like Jesus, church. Jesus is commanding us, it is our turn. Brother Ray is going to come and share some stories about unlocking doors and pushing them open. Good morning, family. Giving an honor to God and thanking my sweet Jesus. So, in going over the passages this week, um, I was really struck with Peter's denial of Jesus. And it really hit me hard. Like, why would the chief disciple deny even knowing Jesus? You know, weakness, when, you, when you're weak and you don't know it, that's when you get into trouble. You know, I want to just, I want to just move ahead just a little bit and um, briefly uh, give you an example. Um, after the Last Supper, Jesus took the disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus told them to stay awake and pray while he went alone to pray. Basically, basically Jesus was telling them, brothers, stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus warns us that our hearts may be willing, but our flesh is weak. What does it look like to stay ready, family? Staying ready means that... Staying ready means that you pray for your marriage before it gets in disarray. Praying, staying ready means to pray for your kids before calamity strikes. And prayer, prayer, family, is the only means, the only means to shore up our weakness, is it not? And lack of prayer makes us underestimate our weakness, and it makes us walk in our flesh which is, these are major reasons why a lot of folks who name the name of Jesus Christ don't walk in a victorious Christian life because we're not staying ready. We're always in a, in a, in a mode of having to get ready. You know, Peter found this out the hard way. And, you know, we talked about weakness and... Um, Fear, fear also bears fruit. One of the fruits that fear bears in family, there is bad fruit and there is good fruit. Amen? One of the fruits that, that, that fear bears is a lack of courage. And the courage needed to make the right decision. The courage needed to understand that you're weak. We're all weak. Peter found out the hard way 
that he was not ready to face the persecution and the ridicule that Christ went through. And you know what, family, I can't get, you know, for a while I couldn't get my head around, man, how do you hang out with Jesus for three years? How do you do that and not get it? Well, I'm taking us somewhere. So just like Peter, we all say we follow Christ. We all say, yeah, you know what, I'm all in. I remember I was telling Pastor Myra Nolan um, five years ago, Myra, I'm all in. And I'm telling you, family, there's been times since that day where you could look at my life and there was no evidence. On some days, there's no evidence that I even knew God. Mm-mm-mm. Sweet Jesus. Can I show y'all a picture? So, family, this is a picture of a man, ironically enough, the man in the blue L.A. County jail suit, his name is Angel. And he understands, he understands, and this picture shows that he understands what it means to stay ready. He understood that there was a, there was a cost involved with, with him coming to Christ, with, with him embracing the gospel, right? He understood that Here's a man that used to be a gangbanger, no telling what he's done, and I try not to get involved with all of that when I go into the jails and the prisons. I'm just there to share the word of God. I'm not trying to roll up into anybody's life unless they want to share that with me, right? So here's a man that, that, that is praying with his son. He understands that, man, right here from jail, um, because I believe in the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his ascension into heaven, right from jail, he's able to stay ready. He's able to show his son what it means to follow Christ. And I have one more, one more video clip I want to show you guys. Justin Phipps, this brother here, paid a big price. Big price. Ex-skinhead. And look, look at this. We're, we're, we're baptizing him. We basically had a big trash can that was only filled with recyclable goods, not a bunch of crud. The guys emptied it filled it with water, and we started baptizing. Chaplain Bob started baptizing people in the jail. Mm. You know what, family? Peter came out the other side of the promise on fire. He was on fire and turned the world upside down. But he had to embrace the gospel. He had to embrace the gospel before he could do that. Family, there's only one gospel. 
There is only one gospel. And I quote Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of, a, of the gospel. It, the gospel, has the power of God for salvation. To everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and also the Greek, for in it, the gospel, righteousness of God is revealed through faith for faith. And as it is written, the one who is righteous will live by faith. Brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you when you stay ready, when you pray with God, when you look for God on purpose, it produces faith. A faith that, that will, will have you doing things you had no, you, you didn't dream about doing for the glory of God. You talk about redemption. God has brought us all from somewhere, brothers and sisters. He's brought us all from somewhere. And I, I pray to God that uh, he will continue to use us in a mighty way. You know, Peter and the, the apostles, they didn't have Gideon Bibles to hand out. No four spiritual law pamphlets to hand out. No Bible tracts to hand out. They had the gospel. And 2,000 years later, look at us. Family, I have a question. When do we ever deny Christ? And I pray that, you know, there's little subtle ways that we do that. There's subtle ways that we deny Christ. And I pray that he would bring it to our mind and that we would remove all, that he, we would allow him to remove all of the hindrances in our lives. I don't know much, but I know this. The gospel has a power to change lives. Stay ready, family. Amen. Thank you, Ray. Man, did you notice in that videotape, Ray was talking about this, this skinhead, right? That's a, a, a neo-Nazi, a, a white supremacist. Did you see who he's baptized by? A black man and a white man. The power of the gospel to reconcile, to change everything. Thank you, Ray. Well, it's time to start landing this airplane. If Jesus' words weren't enough up till that moment, up till now, if his model wasn't enough up till now, if the intensity of the moment on this night of nights for Jesus was not enough up till now, the passage ends with, the very foreshadow of this redemptive personal work that Ray just talked about that would take place in the life of Peter. Three times Jesus would prophesy, you will deny. Peter says, no way. Isn't that what we say? No way. And how often way. And we know what happens both on that night and, 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 and he in fact does deny any association with Jesus. But as I alluded to later, post-resurrection, up at the Sea of Galilee, the very place that Peter first met Jesus, what happens? He comes to understand the fullness of forgiveness, the fullness of redemption. And Jesus invites Peter, just as he invites us, into a forgiven, redeemed life because that's the power of the gospel. When a life is redeemed, you know what can happen? You know what does happen? I told you at the beginning, 
This end points to the beginning. God gets the glory. Denials were coming, sure, but so was forgiveness, and God would get the glory. Jesus, our Redeemer, he commands us, love one another and do it by my definition of love, church. Whether these people are rich or whether they're poor, whether they're in the center of everything or whether they are on the margins, whether they are in the light or the shadow, whether they are walking our streets or whether they are behind bars. And whether they have embraced him or whether they have denied him. Love and redemption is always in action. Love itself will always be a decision. I don't know who you need to decide to love redemptively this week. I don't know. But I believe some of you, some of us are being invited to love redemptively along with Ray and team members in our jails. I, I, I believe that some of you were really stirred as you heard those testimonies. You said, yes, that's so great. Go God. But there was another group of you who were stirred in a way that said, could I see that? Could I see that happen? Does that happen? Could I be a part of that? If you knew Ray's story, then you know he was not a part of that 10 years ago. God is on the move and he's inviting you to move with him. I believe that some of us, the spirit is inviting to join in a redemption revolution behind bars. Church, redemption will always be an action. Love will always be a decision. And redemptive love, that will always come with a cost. It is never cheap. It is never free. Redemption always comes with a cost. For many of us, and I said us, we were discipled in a way that failed to teach us redemptive love always comes at a cost. I'm so grateful for my brothers and sisters around the world that I've met in 30 years of global ministry who have schooled me, they've corrected me, They have taught me and modeled for me that redemptive love always comes at a cost. Something that much of our evangelical discipleship seemed to have missed for quite a while. Love, redemptive love, always comes with a cost. I have so much to learn. So church, are you ready today? Are you ready to renew your commitment to love like Jesus? To love in ways others can see by your actions and not merely by our words. Loving others sacrificially. Being assured that redemptive love is going to be costly. Always. Are you ready to commit to a love like that? To recommit to a love like that? And do not say yes too quickly, church. Because redemptive love is costly. Or maybe today this commitment that so many of us have already made to Jesus is is starting to make more sense than it's ever made before. And you're ready to join Jesus in this redemptive love revolution. 
then just tell him right there, right now where you're sitting. Whatever time it is, just tell him. You know, there's no magic or tricks to praying. Praying is just a conversation with God. So just, just tell Jesus. Tell, tell him you recognize you're doing something different. I need what you have. I see who you are. I'm all in. I want to follow you, Jesus. Tell him right now, right where you are. And if that is you, let us know. Give us a call. Send an email. Put it in the chat. Because we want to journey with you. As Ray said, this journey is not easy. And we don't have it figured out. Do not think we do. We are saved by the grace of that gospel. And we get up and we give it another try tomorrow. Church, love is a decision. Redemption is an action. And when they are put together, this is redemptive love that glorifies God. So now, church, now, just as his disciples were told by Jesus 2,000 years ago, now it's our turn. Join me in prayer. Jesus, we hear you. Help us. Help us to love better than we ever have been able to love before. Help us to understand love has a price and redemptive love comes at a cost. And give us the strength to obey when we are weak and have courage when we are afraid. Jesus, you are our king and we submit anew to you and we do so for your glory. Amen.